slash and cast. Welcome, fiends, to Handle, a Whiskey presented by the Slash Incast Podcast Network. I'm your host, Emily Drunk, and, uh, you know, we're here to talk more about horror movies and the phobias they emphasize, and it is the start of a new month. We have a new phobia, and this month we are highlighting religiophobia, which is the fear of religion, and we have an absolute bonkers lineup planned. Still one to be determined, but we got a good mix of, uh, very intriguing movies that are really going to test people, I feel like, because I'm pretty sure my pick you guys haven't seen yet at, at this point. I know we've done a couple of French horror movies, uh, but not like the creme de la creme that is Martyrs, which is a, a pretty brutal watch. And it just landed on Shudder uh, earlier in the week, along with some of the other new French extreme waves. So I'm excited to go, you know, revisit that one. <clears throat> You know, uh, this particular, uh, this subgenre of horror, again, one of my favorite, uh, I've said this before about other subgenres. So the Christmas themed horror movies, mm-hmm. I think, yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's right at the top of the list, but I think this one just comes in number two and, um, just, I was raised Catholic, so it kind of just hits close to home. And so I think with, uh, that particular part of my upbringing, it, it, it's it, it adds a lot of color. It adds a lot of gravitas to these movies. So um, this is my other favorite kind of horror. Mm-hmm. And the movie that I picked for this month, which is Possession, 1981, uh, it's one of my favorites. It's absolutely crazy. I don't think it's going to be as crazy as Martyrs because I've had, I've heard a lot of really good things about Martyrs, and I'm excited to to watch that movie. But um, Possession just happens to be one of my favorites. It's the acting's insane. The uh, uh, the the horror parts of it are just insane as well, so I'm excited to get everybody's opinion on that. Yep, and of course we'll be doing Possession for Wednesday's episode. Uh, kind of mm-hmm. doing a flex schedule this week. Uh, I basically had finished working eight days straight on Wednesday, and I was just dead tired. There was no way I was going to make it through. Um, but we have John's pick first, so John, why don't you go ahead and introduce what we'll be talking about tonight? Um... <laughs> Which I am totally blanking on the name of. <laughs> uh, we got Carpenter. Did, uh, John Carpenter's uh, part of his End of the World trilogy. Oh, it's a trilogy? Ooh. Well, not literally, it's, but... It, they're not all connected, but it's like the his... <laughs> what he calls the apoth apocalyptic ah, trilogy. So it's got like Prince the theme, okay. Prince of Darkness, and In the Mouth of Madness. Mm-hmm. Well, it was the first one you said I missed that. The theme. Oh, the thing. Oh, okay. Which, you know, presumably the thing would, at the end of that movie, would eventually spread out to the rest of the world, mm. and there'd be nothing you could do to stop it, basically. It's Which is the thing that, no pun intended, that's the, the thing with the thing is uh, it's unstoppable. There would just be no way to actually prevent that thing from spreading. Well, I said it again. <laughs> uh, but Prince of Darkness... I'm a huge John Carpenter fan, so and we've done now, 
several John Carpenter movies in a row, pretty much <laughs> with Christine and uh, what was the other one? Uh, oh, no, wait, uh, Christine and... Oh my god! Well, I, think so this, I think this might be the first time we've done like a back to back from the same director. Or maybe I'm combined. Maybe maybe it wasn't. I don't know. We do so many movies now. I'm a little. I, I'm, I had a long day yesterday, <laughs> so I'm a little out of it. But uh, but anyways, John Carpenter, <clears throat> the uh, Prince of Darkness, which I, I liked. I saw that. I saw it for the first time on television. Uh, I didn't see it in the theater when it came out, but saw it on TV, which actually plays in later uh, in the review uh, to something else that happens in the movie. But uh, it's a great movie. I love, uh, I mean, it's a great but flawed movie. (laughs) Um, It's not perfect by any stretch, but it starts out really strong and has really great ideas to it, I think. Yeah, it's, it's one of those movies that stems a lot from, like, Carpenter's love of, like, science. So then he's like, well, how are we to, like, make this, like, enjoyable for the audience? <laughs> and, you know, when it came out in 1987, this came out, like, a couple of days after um, I was born. Um, it didn't, didn't really do all that great in a box office, even though, like, it wasn't necessarily, like, a dud by any means. I mean, you know, this was shot on, like, a $3 million budget. Uh, ended up grossing uh, over 14 million at the time, nice. which is great. So you know, pretty respectable return in in that regard. But you know, since then, um, you know, regardless of like what fanfare it had at the time, it's definitely developed more of a cult following. And up to this point, it's definitely grown uh, more appreciation from the horror community as being like kind of like an undervalued movie of its era. Definitely, I mean, it has. When it came out in 87, a lot of the concepts and ideas in this movie were brand new things, which now people are a lot more familiar with and are, is talked a lot more in the scientific world with the, the quantum, quantum physics and the, the quantum realm, uh, which, you know, we have an Ant-Man movie currently about that. Uh, and physics and theoretical physics and things like that, which a lot of that was, as I say, like really kind of new concepts in the eighties, but is something that we're much more familiar with, especially if you go on YouTube, there's lots of videos explaining the concepts in this movie. Really? Cause well, I, I, I was having a hard time following the science, which of course is not real science. <laughs> yeah. And, and in fairness, uh, it's not, I like, I'm definitely not a physicist on any level or even close to that, but I like the, I always like the ideas in this movie and this movie appealed to me right away. And I like a lot of those concepts. And uh, in fairness, the way it's explained is he's definitely kind of trying to make it like science and mysticism tied together. Mm -hmm. And so the science gets it's confusing in this movie. <laughs> you know, right. you literally try to understand what they're talking about because it's just, they're kind of deliberately muddying it. Of course, way. because you just uh, because it's it's of course fiction, and so they're. It, it's really interesting how TV shows and movies are like this, where they they will feed you straight science, 
for as long as possible. But there's always going to be a moment where they have to flip the switch <laughs> and like there's a, a you know like a little skip in rationale and you're like wait a minute what and then of course you have to remember to let go of that moment because it's so hard not to when like you've been trying to like pay a lot of attention and i mean clearly i'm referencing other experiences with that so the one that i'm thinking about is uh silicon valley did you guys watch that show oh the comedy series right so they're 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 being pretty adherent to uh, well I guess as far as I could tell like some some solid you know premises throughout the show at the very end of the show the the series finale they have to go like batshit crazy when it comes to like some of the explanations where you're like wait a minute but then of course you're like wait it's a TV show of course it's nonsense <laughs> so um, I was having a little bit of trouble with this movie where I'm like I don't understand what's happening <laughs> you know because of course I'm not meant to but I think you know even if even if it was straight science I wouldn't have been able to follow that well well and they're definitely uh, well it's also the, uh, probably a knock on the writing too that it didn't get conveyed in a way that completely makes sense but then again those concepts are just confusing even mm -hmm. in themselves you know so it's like it's probably hard to get that across and they really try because this movie almost the first <laughs> half of the movie is just scientists having conversations about science in a right. room together uh there's very little um like character interaction where people are sort of interacting with each other in a natural way. It's really like discussions about the actual science of what's happening. With the exception of that uh, little like sort of love interest story mm -hmm. between redhead and mustache. <laughs> that is total, like the movie introduces that you really think they're going to be the main characters of the movie mm -hmm. the way they're introduced, but they're really not. They're, this yeah, movie, I like that. This movie kind of doesn't have a main character in a lot of ways, I think. Like, I would agree with that. I mean, yeah, I mean, like you have that whole uh, developing of that, the romantic storyline, which they didn't spend too much time on that, right? So they meet, um, they they sleep together before they join the project, and then they're, they're not really sort of, they don't really connect because it's been too soon, right? Like they haven't had a lot of time to spend with each other. Although I did think there was one really funny part where he's kind of like negging her a little bit, right? He's yeah, trying definitely. to, I don't know, uh, uh, knock her down a peg enough to get her into bed, which of course works. <laughs> and he goes on to say, well, girls like you don't, girls that look like you don't hang out on our side of like the, like the, uh, the science building. And I thought to myself, Guys that look like you don't hang out there either. I mean, that guy was crazy hot, and I was like, okay, sure, whatever. But um, it's like the uh, the creature of the Black Lagoon effect. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, wait a yeah. minute, this is the Nando. Yeah, they, you know, it's like they kind of do a nod to sexism in the scientific world, where <laughs> it's you know harder for women to get into that realm, and they kind of. And get, get he even said he jokingly says that he's I'm a sexist. confirmed sexist. <laughs> yeah, and then she pulls back a little bit and he's like, Oh, now you're bothered. I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I was joking, and it's like, couldn't necessarily tell it was a joke. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just hilarious that you know you can insult somebody and then like be upset that they're not they didn't think it was charming. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, but it, it's 
you could tell Carpenter was, <laughs> like, you know, that he was acknowledging that and he sure. was putting women characters into the movie as scientists and then acknowledging that sexism, which is cool that he did. It that. is very cool. But mm-hmm. it is handled kind of clumsily. It's the 80s. And so it's a little bit off. <laughs> Maybe it was it wasn't so clumsy at the time and just now in retrospect it seems yeah, clumsy. Sure. But um yeah. I wanted to talk a little bit about the the sort of relationship between this movie and Big Trouble in Little China because mm-hmm. clearly very similar scores. You have two actors straight out of Big Trouble in Little China. And um that sort of like sense of adventure that 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 the both movies have, I thought was like pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Um, when did that movie come out? Big Trouble. That well, must like, have been before. Yeah, it was because Carpenter had basically um, had kind of like a reprieve from horror for a little bit for a couple of films because they did Starman and then Big Trouble in Little China. So Prince of Darkness was like his return back to the genre at the time. Interesting. And I don't know the actors' name, the two actors from Big Trouble, but I know the younger actor who plays Wang Shi in Big mm-hmm. Trouble is a native San Franciscan, which is cool. He, uh, you know, there used to be local television stations, if younger people may not realize, uh, and he was on a soap opera in San Francisco. A TV station, which I think is how he got discovered for Big Trouble. I think uh, he's a great actor, but I also feel like he always plays the same roles. Well, yeah. Well, not the same roles, but like the way that, you know, like it's the same sort of personality and output. And, I, and I'm, again, I'm only judging that on this movie and on Big Trouble Little China. I just seem kind of like, you know, same character. <laughs> yeah, except unlikable which I, I was like i big trouble with little china is one of my all-time favorite movies it's been definitely up there uh and uh it, it it bugged me just as a fan of big trouble like how unlikable he is in this movie where they just make him a jerk for most he was just time. a little i mean he i mean he was only a little bit of a i didn't i didn't feel like i like i hated him like it was just like no, okay. no definitely not but it was it's just like uh <laughs> He's so, I think he works well. He's, his personality is so kind of likable naturally that Mm -hmm. making him a jerk, it just, you know, a little bit. And then the actor who, I believe uh, his name was Egg Chen in in Big Trouble in Little China. Yeah. I wish I I could remember his name too, because he's wonderful. And I really liked him in this one. I mean, uh, it was between him and dude from Halloween. Thank you. It was really great to see those guys working together. And, you know, to your point earlier, like, you know, uh, Carpenter trying to balance this sort of like a scientific approach to this religious horror. Like it's, that was, that was, uh, that was a really fun part of the movie. Like it it kind of brought it like a big sense of adventure to it that I was talking Mm -hmm. to before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's the, yeah, the older guy is great. And he's kind of, playing a very similar role to his big trouble role. Mm-hmm. Kind of like the, the guy, yeah. Yeah, the, the, the older mentor who's kind of explaining how things work and g- giving you the the lore of the world. Except he's a professor in this one. Huge difference. Yeah, so the thing is, the mo- the first half of the movie works really well for me. I think it's extremely good, despite the fact that 
it's kind of wonky in terms of the whole people just standing around talking about the science mm-hmm. of that's happening in the story. And essentially it's just, it's just nonstop exposition, which is usually looked at as a really bad thing in movies, but it works for me in this movie because the ideas are interesting mm-hmm. enough and the things that, you know, it's done in a well enough, good enough way that I still really think the first half is probably the strongest part of the movie, maybe because of how it it's this, you know, just this whole kind of movie centered around this concept of like, what if, you know, it, it kind of does the thing, you see this in some other stories, but not a lot where it's kind of like the scientific explanation of supernatural things, you know, that, these supernatural things that happen are real things, but there's science that behind it that we just don't understand yet. <clears throat> and it, I thought it did, does a really good job at that concept of basically saying that, you know, not to jump ahead too much. <clears throat> I mean, you find out pretty soon in the, that there's a church that uh, has a jar in the basement full of a green big beer. jar i would call it a tub not <laughs> yeah. even no tubs are wide what's what's cylindrical <laughs> yeah i don't know but and and you know it contains essentially the devil so. <laughs> a whole bunch of evil and it squirts <laughs> yeah which is a, a strange and kind of unfortunate method that it way that it <laughs> around uh mm-hmm. cast members they just squirted at each other and then boom you're evil yeah i mean you know we're not used to seeing uh the evil represented just like a swirling green liquid i mean nor- <laughs> normally like with like possession movies you know like they're vomiting like black goo right you know whenever like the spirits like leaving the body not so much in this case <laughs> yeah, the that mouth. yeah and the fact that it, yeah it is interesting the fact that it's a clear liquid I don't know if that was maybe like a rating choice. I mean, it could have been green or black, like you said. That's usually the alternate colors instead of red, like blood or something. Mm-hmm. But it is kind of an odd choice to have a clear liquid because it doesn't feel <clears throat> g- gross in the way that it would if it was, you know, a, a go- some kind of black goo or brown goo or something like that, you know. Mm. Agreed. But, uh, it does feel like, I don't know, I never looked at the behind the scenes of this movie or anything. I don't think I've listened to the commentary for this either, but it feels like they've had a, the, the spraying of the goo and everything, it does feel like they had a strong idea of what they wanted to do for the first half of the movie. And then as it kind of got into the part of the movie where things start happening, you know, Act, like horror and action starts to happen it felt that's where it starts to feel like it gets a bit weaker where like the spraying goo out of their mouths just kind of felt not fully thought through where it was just like it was almost like they set up this situation where they have this giant jar of green goo and then they were like hmm how do we show in a movie that this thing is spreading you know and it, and it, that's the thing, right? Is that the the containing the devil in this jar in the basement? It's able to sort of 
to a limited degree, it can spread out its evil influence in the immediate area of the church, which is a cool idea. I like that idea. But then, uh, and I think they make it clear, you understand in the beginning of the movie that the people in the church, the scientists, but also the homeless people around the church are being influenced without showing that goo being sprayed on people. And it, so it feels a bit weird that they felt the need to go that route of spraying the goo when we already get the fact that people are being turned evil just by being close to the jar. Well, I think, you know, there's a, the, a small difference between like people starting or uh, homeless people starting to behave, uh, behave oddly and start to sort of surround the building to uh, these students having to do a 180 and going from being about from working on these projects to like attacking each other. So I think they needed a, like a, a trigger that could be switched or a, a, I'm sorry, a switch that could be flipped and, yeah. and say, okay, so now this guy's going to start attacking people. And if this were a modern movie, it would be like a, there'd be like a CGI uh, <laughs> visual effect. You know, it would be like a mist or some kind of, weird you know thing not just spraying because it's almost like a snake venom you know where they open their mouths and spray it into your mouth which by the way uh you know there's a scene where the one woman sprays the goo into the other person's mouth when she like jumps on top of him mm -hmm. and the person who's being sprayed just keeps their mouth open the entire time, and I was thinking, nobody would realize you would never do that. You would turn your head, you would close, close your mouth. mouth instinctively. You wouldn't just sit there. He was having a baby bird moment, okay? Like <laughs> Seriously, it was instinctual. Uh, but, uh, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, so. You know, I always like I when I I don't watch this movie since like I was a kid. Like it had been that long. Like I don't think I've seen it since I was like six or seven. So like I forgot a majority of this movie outside of mm -hmm. like the the actual like cylinder. <laughs> so so it's definitely interesting to to revisit it. But yeah, once like the exposure is there initially with the liquid and everyone starts to compossess, that's when things start to you know kind of get a little unhinged. Uh, but you know it's nice to see Alice Cooper in the movie. I completely <laughs> forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> He kills a man. <laughs> I also hadn't seen it for a really long time. And when I, when I saw Alice Cooper, I, I thought, oh, yeah, that's right. Alice Cooper's in this. And But I but I had this weird memory that he was a character in the movie, but he really doesn't do much besides uh, stand around in a few scenes. He kills one guy. Yeah. Stabs him with half a bicycle, I think it was. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which goes to a thing I've mentioned in the podcast several times in the past, which is that in horror movies, people are made out of Play-Doh. <laughs> you can just push a pipe. You don't even have to use that. Boom, you're dead. Push a pipe right <laughs> through somebody. No problem at all. But yeah, that cho the the half a bike frame was a really interesting, weird choice of weapon. I mean, I you, like you say that, John, but like we've also seen like really random kills in other genres. Like I'm thinking like Kun Pao when someone dying to like a grape getting thrown at them. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so. I was going to say that that particular scene where that guy gets killed by Alice Cooper, um, I did like how he was lured into the bad situation and then also how 
it was an inescapable situation. So he gets lured into sort of the lower level of an enclosed pathway next to the building. Mm -hmm. And he gets lured down there because there's a crucified pigeon. That was so <laughs> he really wanted to get a closer look at that pigeon. Well, the thing is, like, and even in the movie, like, they show it, and I was like, what is that? And then they, you know, he gets closer, so the camera gets closer, and I'm like, that's a crucified pigeon. And then he turns around, so then you get to see the people behind him. I'm like, shit, walk down the stairs. So he walks down the stairs. Shit, there's Alice Cooper. Go back. <laughs> so I, I really liked how um, it's such a dumb situation that nobody should – walk into but mm -hmm. mentally i walked into it with him so <laughs> yeah, yeah and then when you think like well there's a bunch of dudes on this side and here's alice cooper with a pointy half a bike <laughs> and, uh, although i would have uh, tried to grab the bike and pushed it away from me i mean i wouldn't have trusted that alice cooper wouldn't stab me with half a bike to this day yeah. i don't trust that alice cooper won't stab me with half a bike yeah, again, the victim just kind of stands there and allows themselves to be impaled. Also, I mean, not to get too scientific about it, but to impale someone like that, you have to push with a certain amount of force. And unless he's leaning against a wall or something, he's more likely he's to get push get back. pushed over. Yeah, or push back. <laughs> but, you know, whatever. Science. It's fine. Uh, it's all the adrenaline from being overcome by Satan. <laughs> Yeah, and meeting exactly. Alice Cooper. <laughs> yeah, he's like, you're Alice Cooper. Is that Alice Cooper? <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, saying billion dollar baby, Adam. But uh, just to call out another of the weird kills, um, when the ones, so it, there's kind of a weird edit where suddenly we're just outside with three of the scientists and they're having an argument about whether they're going to stay or not. Mm -hmm. And the two decide to go back in and stay. And the one guy just stands out there. Because he's leaving, right? He's deciding that he doesn't want to be part of it anymore. So he's taking off. Right. But he doesn't take off. He just stays there. He just stands there. And then, like, that's the guy. He gets. He's the one who gets impaled with the bike. No, no, no. The guy that got impaled with the bike was the guy with the glasses and the dark hair. Oh, right. This guy gets his head cut off, right? Yeah, that's the guy who gets attacked by all the homeless people and then ends up being all, like, his body's made out of beetles when he's talking to the people in the building and telling them that they're all going to die or they're all doomed, right? Which is a cool scene. Mm -hmm. when he's And it, and it kind of <laughs> collapses and it's just the beetles. That is actually, that's really well done. But, yeah, the kills are a little bit odd in this movie. They're not, you know... They're a little soft. Yeah. And it doesn't feel... It feels like they were kind of maybe thrown in where they felt like, oh, you know, we're doing a horror movie and this is the 80s, so we got to have some kind of... We got to have some slasher kills. But... Right. Because, I mean, even in general, the horror or the goriness of the movie was pretty mild. And the, the bulk of the kills in the movie, too, were just really the zombies dying from <clears throat> from the cylinder, essentially. Exposure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just kind of it kind of destroying them. Uh, and uh, so what so the, so basically they are studying the jar in the uh, basement and translating uh, old religious texts into algorithm into modern algorithms like physics algorithms or or equations i guess and was that what was that what released the evil 
Because I wasn't clear on that. Because that's usually what happens. In fact, that's what happened in Buffy. Was <laughs> where they're using technology to scan, like you know, text, and the and so the computer is 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 translating it from the paper onto a screen, and uh, that's considered sort of reading the text, and it releases the evil. So I didn't know if there was some sort of like similar, you know, logic in this in the movie. It's not clear to me. It. it it's like, I think it, it's just that it's got, it's evil. It, the fact that they are in the church is enough where it's able to do its thing. Mm -hmm. I, I think the translating just, I think on one hand, it's meant to be kind of like, oh, isn't this, isn't this a cool concept of how, because this is kind of a real thing based on a real concept. There's a certain religious text that has, like a uh, mathematical uh it's not you know physics equations but it's like it's got this like mathematical thing that coincides with the text mm -hmm. uh and so i think they were kind of presenting it as a cool idea again trying to tie together mysticism with science but i don't think it's the thing that releases it i think it's the fact that it's able to spray its goo out of the jar onto the people that's the thing that basically lets it that out. basically somebody messed with it in the first place and it didn't have to be scientists it would have been nice um <clears throat> i think it would have been a really cool concept if it was the science that released the evil yeah yeah for sure that would have been like neat like thanks a lot physicists <laughs> well it, and it, it brings up a, a, another weird thing where uh when they're in analyzing the jar uh they mentioned that it has it's locked but it has it can be the lock can be undone from inside which they said you know they call that out as like it's strange it's locked but you can only let them lock from inside that was like why would you do that if you made a jar to contain the devil and, and trap him why would you have a lock that can be opened from the inside and then they talk about how he's been in there for what like seven million years or something yeah, or maybe yeah. that was just like that was the 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 radium <laughs> uh, scientist. I don't think I'm saying any of these things right, but <laughs> <laughs> the woman who was in charge of sort of like gauging how old everything was, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a cool concept in the movie where uh, the different sciences that got together to. That's yeah. Well, but they also were saying that uh, this is that the jar's been around for super long time. Uh, but that there's been kind of science or what he was basically saying that because uh, the, the Donald Pleasance was saying something about how like, uh, oh, right, right. Okay, so spoiler territory. I mean, we spoil everything anyways. But uh, <laughs> the fun part is that we find out that, and this is all relating to what you're saying. This is why I'm, but that, uh, you know, this is the devil that's been around, that's been contained in this jar for thousands of years or millions of years even. Uh, and the reason it's that old and it's been contained for that long is because uh, it's it was trapped and put in that jar by space alien Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I think I missed that part. <laughs> no, yeah, because uh, Jesus, what as he's described in the movie, was a how do they describe it? he's like a he was a human like alien basically mm -hmm. from another planet and 
came here and trapped and contained Jesus and or trapped and contained the devil using science. Uh, but then that guarding the jar had to be passed on to the Catholic Church because uh, he, you know, the, I guess since they since the church created a religion around Jesus, he figured, okay, you guys are the best ones to watch over the jar. And then Donald Pleasance was saying that they kind of messed it all up because uh, they they made everything about the religion and they stopped kind of focusing on what on was happening. Jar. Yeah, with the jar and the science and the science was lost. Uh, and so that's why, you know, now the jar, because, you know, it, the jar was being guarded by the church, but then the church was abandoned for whatever reason. So mm -hmm. the jar was just down there by itself. By so itself. because the church got too money hungry, like they always do. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, he, there's a couple of speeches by Donald Pleasance where he talks about how the current church has lost its way in terms of selling people a fantasy on you know like heaven and things like that but ignoring kind of the like what is essentially like a sort of epic space battle between good and evil aliens really. where's that movie <laughs> i mean it's sort of like uh what's l ron hubbard's religion uh scientology yeah where it's you know it's all space aliens, basically. That's true. That's an interesting connection. <laughs> <laughs> and that shit's been around since the seventies. So, and 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 the devil in this is basically like a sort of he. Uh, the explanation is that it's sort of like he is in on the supernatural, and he can sort of spread his evil influence. But the scientific thing is that he's he's sort of a tiny quantum uh, being that is he's almost like a you know like a cloud of tiny particles you know he's like a a sort of alien essence of but he's like an actual creature but he can spread himself around it's not explained well but I've just I've seen the movie so many times now that this is my theory of what is happening. So we've got this nebulous sort of cloud being in a jar. And mm. then also there's at the very end of the movie, again, spoilers, the whole mirror uh, portal into an evil pool where there's a giant traditionally looking Satan looking Satan in there. How do those two connect? So I think that the, the jar, it, it's a, it's basically like a, it's confused because it seems like they're saying the, the goo in the jar is the devil, but then later in the movie, it really seems like they're saying that the jar is like a portal to another dimension and that the devil is trapped in that other dimension and can't get to ours. But now that the jar is open and the goo is spreading around, now he can get into our dimension. Okay. Yeah, they're basically just trying to like trap the anti-god in this case with the mirror. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right, and that's the thing, right? He they describe him as like an anti that every uh, particle has its opposite. You know, there's the dark and the light, and mm -hmm. then he's like the anti-god sort of. 
I, uh, I did find it interesting, like, doing research on this, that, like, the church basement, like, that was actually shot in this building that was basically falling apart, so everyone had to, like, sign waivers during <laughs> oh, <wow>. production. <laughs> Everybody in the crew was wearing hard hats except for the actors. <laughs> yeah, so so who knows? Like, maybe, maybe the devil could have gotten out regardless. Yeah. So, and that's, like, a that's a regular trope in movies like these where it's like, well... All the safeguards just sort of aged out and crumbled. So <laughs> mm-hmm. here's the devil. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, it's like, it starts to become a bit of a, a little bit. Oh, I have to call out another section that it just popped in my head in terms of things that kind of aged weirdly. Uh, was that, you know, the homeless people are being affected by the jar. And there's this scene where what they're, the scientists are looking out the window and they see all the homeless people kind of just gathered there all mm-hmm. standing, staring at the building. And one of the scientists says, Oh, well, um, what is it like schizophrenic people or psych- psychotic people? I forget what she says, but mm-hmm. uh, she says like schizophrenic <laughs> people normally go through these patterns every 20 minutes and and they, you know, do a repeated pattern every 20 minutes. And these people are just standing there staring at the building. And that's very unusual. And I was like, okay, wait, so you're just saying all, every one of those homeless people is schizophrenic and they all have this science. You know, it was kind of like bringing in the science again. Yeah. But mm-hmm. It was done in a way where it was just like, that doesn't, that's not how that <laughs> <laughs> aged badly yeah like yeah. We're, we're used to like shared paranoia you know it's not shared schizophrenia <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but uh but um so then what uh you know the one woman becomes impregnated by the goo that was interesting because i mean she had a um she was branded right with one of the symbols from from the book but i don't remember do you guys recall when that happened because I feel like she, I either I spaced out and missed a part of the movie, but all of a sudden she like would lift up her sleeve and and show that symbol and be like, that's not healing. <laughs> like, that's scary. Yeah, I love how she just thought it was like a bruise. Like, <laughs> no. She didn't think there was any straight, anything strange about the fact that even if she didn't see the original symbol, you can tell that it's in the shape of something that's not a natural bruise. <laughs> but she was just like, Oh, I have this weird bruise. Yeah, I was like, did I miss a whole part? How do you not know where that came from? I guess she just doesn't have a high enough iron intake. Yeah, Probably so just bruises easily, so she didn't think anything of it. Maybe a drinker. Yeah. Could be. <laughs> she just wakes up with bruises and scratches. But uh, but this is also speak, talking <laughs> about how it, it's going to get out of into the world. It kind of does the omen thing where that it may, now this makes me realize that's how it planning to get out is to impregnate this woman and then mm-hmm. be born as presumably the antichrist. Doesn't her stomach dip though? Like um, she's impregnated almost, but then the stomach flattens out. Yeah. What happens with that? She doesn't give birth to anything, right? No, she doesn't. No, so she, she just gets like disformed. Yeah. So she's in bed and she is, she's got a a swollen belly and her skin is, you know, of course, turning into like this all all sores. And then the other two women are sort of like watching over her or just hanging out with her. 
And um, next thing you know, the two women are attacking um, dude from Big Trouble in Little China. And uh, the, 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 the pregnant lady, her stomach flattens out while she's still in bed. And then she wakes up and then she sees a compact and opens it. And that's the first time you get uh, uh, that sort of uh, the idea that mirrors are, are portals. She puts her fingers through it and yeah. blah, blah, blah. But I mean, yeah, like this, I, I'm not sure if that what happened with the whole soul and belly and what that, what, what that was. Like. Maybe they're not doing that omen thing. I, I was thinking they were in the movie. I was Me like, too. oh, it's going to give birth to the evil baby. But that's right. She does that cool. <laughs> yeah, it's just like she was used as a vessel, but it wasn't for like pure delivery. Because like in that moment, that's when she's trying to you know open the portal through the mirror, but it it ends up being uh, too small, so it ends up you know, breaking in the process. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know what I think it is is that she was kind of the most possessed because she absorbed the most goo, and so it was probably <laughs> able to control her a lot better to help to try to get use her to help it escape from the, the, the mirror i think ultimately what we're getting at is there's a lot of um misconnections in the movie there's a lot of uh um threads that we're not that that we're not able to follow successfully which is is um unfortunately like a, a shortcoming of the movie because mm-hmm. i mean because like, <laughs> we're going back and forth i'm like did i miss a part when did this happen yeah <laughs> Yeah, Where's no, the baby? <laughs> and it's it's it definitely all of that, and the fact that you know, as we move into the second half of the movie, or maybe more the third act of the movie, where it starts to kind of things start to come apart, it starts to kind of go off the rails a little mm-hmm. bit. With that where it's like these story threads are not really connecting or making sense, and we're kind of just like doing the thing where the possessed people are attacking the not possessed people. Right. Yeah, we, we haven't even talked about the dream sequence that seems to be a recurrent theme as well. <gasps> right. <laughs> Which, that, I was like, what's going on here? What does this mean? Why is it why is it happening? So, so you're talking about the TV camera? Yes, yeah. We're talking of, we're talking about like the, the message from nineteen ninety nine. So basically you have these survivors yeah. who are all having like this recurrent dream. Uh, and it's all being like transmitted and sent kind of like as a warning from the future to them uh, from 1999. So that's when we kind of like see that shadowy figure emerging uh, from the front of the church. And, um, you know, it's just kind of like hazing. It kind of like changes with uh, each occurrence of the dream. But like it, it felt really weird. Like it kind of reminded me a, a little bit of like They Live because it does like kind of give off like that subliminal messaging. Just mm-hmm. not to like the same extent, but like I thought it was a, it was just a weird like narration in regards to like how everything was being transmitted, and I don't really know like how that kind of fit in. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna agree, and I mean, there's, uh, it doesn't change substantially for, as as it, it's being shown until the very end, where uh, the redheaded lady um, sacrifices herself and ends up in in the other dimension in the hell dimension and, uh, and then that sequence happens again and then it's her outline that's in the in the door frame right mm-hmm. <clears throat> that's sort of and then it turns out that that was a dream sequence as well that mustache was having hot mustache hot stash was having so that's one of so this is one of my favorite parts of the movie that i, I really like in terms of like the science and the ideas in the movie mm-hmm. 
And this was, I was saying earlier in the episode, I, the first time I saw this was on TV back in the late 80s or early 90s. And, uh, and this was, you know, the era of broadcast <laughs> television and there was no internet streaming or anything like that. And when that part happened, I thought like it wasn't part of a movie. It felt like either it was like a commercial or something was, there was some kind of weird, something happening with the TV kind of thing for the first few moments of it. And I remember just being like, oh my God, that's so crazy. Like, I don't know if this is like a brand new thing, but this kind of thing just was something that had never really been done before where you have a traditional Hollywood movie that's made on film. And then suddenly you have this scene that's shot on video Mm -hmm. and has really weird this, you know, the, the kind of weird transmitted uh, audio on it. And, uh, but I really like the idea. So the idea with the broadcast is that it's, it's literally a broadcast being sent back in time by the scientists in 1999 who are trying to warn the people in the church that you're about to let the devil out of the jar and you're going to cause the end of the world, which happens in 1999. Uh, And they're using, I forget what they say in the movie, but it's like, you know, some kind of subatomic particle type thing that they're using to transmit their message back in time into people's heads as dreams. And uh, he even says, if you listen to the audio of the guy, the scientist who's broadcasting the message, he says that they don't really have the signal strength to broadcast to your conscious mind. So they have to broadcast it into their sleeping mind as a dream. Mm. But again, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, like you, you mentioned, like it was shot on uh, on video, but then it was also filmed off the TV for like the dream sequences. Right, right. And you get this very weird visual look where it doesn't look like film at all. It feels like you're kind of watching a news broadcast or something. No, you know, I didn't notice the change in media, but you're right. That is very interesting. But yeah, I mean, back to like following like the logic. The, the movie is just very hard to focus on, right? I mean, you mentioned earlier that we don't have a real main character that we can follow. We we have all these different little storylines. There are there is that one couple that you can focus on a little bit. There is, uh, you know, the the the, 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 the head scientist and the priest that you can focus on a little bit. But it, everything is so spread out that I felt like I didn't know where to look. And then on top of that, there is... Um, we, we just went through all the different threads that we were unable to follow or put together that it's it's a really hard movie to put your finger on to, to really feel like you understand what's going on, at least for me. And um, and honestly, like before you explain this whole signal thing, I just kind of glossed over it because I was like, <laughs> what's happening? OK, we're back in the movie. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, OK, that's a dream. OK, it's a message. But then it's like, well, how? <clears throat> So the message is coming from way in the future. So it took that long for the world to fall apart after releasing the devil. It's just, there's a lot of like uh, logic that doesn't like pan out when you really think about it. And and then it makes you think like, at what point was Carpenter standing in front of a fucking storyboard and going, "Mm mm-hmm, 
okay, yes, yeah, no, let's move the, okay, yeah, now it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, just imagine, <laughs> just imagine if they went with like the initial idea where like the possessed ended up being like the seven deadly sins. That was a that was an idea like that, that got shot down That's because it cool. it would it would have required way too many rewrites to make it happen. Oh yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, it would have probably raised up the budget yeah, a lot. Clearly, there wasn't enough cocaine to go around. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, and and the broadcast is is a. Uh, another flaw for sure because we see the the shadow you know coming out of the church and mm-hmm. we assume that it's we assume that it's the you know the devil basically coming out of there at least that's what i was assuming and then we find out it's the woman you know who sacrificed herself to stop the thing and to stop the whole event and uh it's weird it doesn't make sense because it does are we meant to think is she now the like possessed by the devil is she the bad thing that's causing the end of the world now by going over there or did she stop it and like maybe 1999 maybe they succeeded in stopping the end of the world in 1999 by her going into the other dimension and stopping it and seeing her coming out of the church is like a sign that it's not the devil it's just her and and happy ending she actually walks out of the church in 1999 totally fine and normal you know and like and is that it looks like a recording right so i didn't know if it was meant to be uh, a me- uh, a message in symbols or an actual mess or message that was an actual recording of what was happening right. really. so i got the sense that she was like i didn't get the sense that she was surviving that and that she was coming out of the church i thought it was like a vi- like a like a like a vision or a like a like you're able to see what's what's being held inside of like you know um i guess this hellscape <clears throat> and mm-hmm. i and i guess and i guess i got the sense that she was just per- just in perpetual hell you know like just in this horrible like she sacrificed herself and not just to death it was like no for eternal damnation kind of shit which yeah. is pretty rough <clears throat> which by the way the whole mirror thing was reminding me really strongly of evil dead 2 you know the evil ash who's in the mirror and they have the liquid mirror surface which they kind of do in this movie too when she touches the mirror and it kind of wobbles but in the matrix I, as well. <laughs> you know, but yeah you know it's a it's a definitely a flawed <laughs> movie uh but it's yeah, it, it, but John Carpenter is just really good filmmaker, and so he kind of made it work, even though yeah, absolutely these problems with it. I think this movie's developed kind of a cult following mm-hmm. since, especially when people connect, because people like In the Mouth of Madness, and obviously people are really into the thing, and so I think when he sort of tied it all together where these are like the end of the world stories, it sort of brought, it sort of lifted up this movie a little bit where I think people had forgotten this movie for a while, which is understandable. <laughs> but Yeah. Also so, like, um, just like trying to figure out like how the bread is made, so to speak for like how they get certain <laughs> shots in a movie. Um, so for me, like with this one in particular, I was really interested in like figuring out like, okay, well how the hell do they do like the mirror gag in this? Oh, um, to see like how it was shot. Um, so basically what they did is they were using mercury. So what they oh. would do is they would drain the mercury 
from the hydraulic dolly and the cranes, and then they would use it a bit where, you know, the character would, like, dip their fingers in. And then the, the, the hand would basically be put into, like, this reflective pool. Um, and then, you know, afterwards they would just return to Mercury back into, you know, the container at that point. But, you know, cool. obviously, like, the arms they were using were prosthetics. I would hope um, so. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they kind of, like, explains, like, well, why, well, how come the watch didn't fit? Yeah, it's because of the prosthetic. Uh, but then they also had, like, the reverse of the shot, too. So, like, you would have, like, the fingers poking through into the darkness, uh, and then that was basically done just using a covered swimming pool. Nice. And don't we also get a shot where there's kind of a devil arm coming out of? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. Because I always, when it, my, Big also this, my long-term memories of this movie also mix up with the movie Legend, which, uh, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. where the devil comes out of the mirror in that one too in almost the same way and my brain always connects those two together <laughs> like I'm not sure if it's a false memory of a devil arm coming out of the mirror in this movie mm-hmm. hey i just uh something just occurred and i don't know if this is this would be accurate but you know the woman who seems to be impregnated right and she's um <clears throat> when she goes into when she becomes ill she uh okay so she's she's tossing and turning in bed a little bit because she's ill and she's her whole fucking body's look covered in sores she's got a swollen belly like as if to imply that she's pregnant with with something evil but when the when her stomach goes back down and she regains consciousness she keeps like sort of she doesn't behave like herself she keeps referring to the devil as father so maybe she's the antichrist and the antichrist is in her body where she was sort of pregnant with them and then it basically took over her 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 corporeal form and okay so she's she, so she's the antichrist yeah looking very freddy kruegerish mhm she gets to that point but yeah that's i think that is what it is, is yeah that makes sense he was kind of able to put <clears throat> himself fully into her and create like a physical version of himself using her body yeah 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 it probably wouldn't have worked to have it would have, or it would have been too expensive to have her give birth to a baby and then have it sort of rapidly grow up or something. Like that. <laughs> that would have made no sense. Yeah. <laughs> but it would have been cool because it would have tied yeah. in with the whole omen, the whole antichrist idea, mm-hmm. where the way the devil is born into the world is through a baby. But because uh, you know that seems to be the overall theme of this movie is sort of the the science behind the the Bible kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Which you do when, the thing is, is whenever people try to explain Christianity in real world terms, you pretty much have to add space aliens in to make it work. <laughs> Ron Hubbard figured it out. Why can't we? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it kind of, how does it even end? So they basically just kind of kill her. Oh no, does she, so she kind of is able to regain her own consciousness slightly enough to, oh no, no, it's the other woman who, who jumps in and Right, stops. so she's pulling the devil, um, the woman who's now the Antichrist is pulling the devil out of the mirror. And then the redhead, um, she sees this, she says she has a little meltdown, which I thought was like, 
it was kind of fun because I was like, come on, do something. <laughs> and the, so then she decides to, you know, push her or jump, jump into the mirror, pushing everybody back in her going into this, you know, um, hellish dimension. And then after that's done, the priest throws the ax at the mirror to break it so that the portal is closed. And then everybody who was possessed exhales evil mm -hmm. out of their bodies and returns to being dead, I guess. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah, well, we also see Danforth like trying to like reach out from the other side. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the portal ends up closing regardless. Does the jar, what happens to the jar at the end? Does it explode? Or does it just stay there? I think they don't say they, anything. They, about they the don't jar. say anything about the jar towards the end. Yeah, that's sort of, that's, and, and, you know, the whole story threads problem is how that jar is even connected yeah. to the portal mm -hmm. and the mirror and the other universe. Yeah, because for sure. We, uh, we basically see, like, all the homeless, like, wander away from the church at that point, like, once the evil right. is freed. Um, and, you know, obviously, like, all the survivors end up being rescued, and then that's kind of, like, when we got, like, the, the dream sequence again at, at mm -hmm. the end of the movie. Okay. Right, right. That's where, and then we get that final broadcast where we hear the full message that they're broadcasting from 1999 to warn us. Yep. But I guess since Carpenter considers this an end of the world movie, then yeah, she she may be the new embodiment of the devil coming <laughs> into the physical world in 1999. And I think she they literally time travel. I don't think it's that it takes from 1987 to 1989 for the events to play out. I think the idea is that she goes into that other dimension and then oh. comes out in 1999. That's cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there's no Which time cool, lapse. Yeah. It's, it's just a time travel. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's neat. That's real neat. But it did feel like, I think when I was young and I saw this movie, I did think that the visuals of the dream were a news broadcast. Mm -hmm. That they were like taking news footage of the end of the world and broadcasting it back with a with a verbal message to the people to, in 87 <laughs> which is a fun idea that's like a you know adding some sci-fi you know ex like more extreme sci-fi instead of just trying to do like science or theoretical silent science but then pushing it to like actual sci-fi which, you know, in 1999, we definitely did not discover the ability to send messages back in time. About the devil. Nice. <laughs> About the devil. <laughs> or open but that's portals. a fun idea. I think we've seen that in other stories <laughs> where somebody from the future, oh, uh, Terminator, right? You know, oh, right, yeah. <laughs> the future, people from the future trying to prevent something terrible from happening. Yeah, Bill and Ted. Positive. Mm hmm. But yeah, I feel like, I mean, speaking for myself per personally, I feel like mostly what I like about this movie is the ideas mm -hmm. that it has more than like the movie itself. I agree. <laughs> and I mean, like, scenes are awesome. Well, I love the concept of uh, all these things that you tell yourself are not real and that can't hurt you. 
that there is a whole team of, uh, of scientists that we're going to prove we're real and that all your fears are, are correct and that you are going to be tortured in hell for, <laughs> you know, for smoking a cigarette or something. So oh, yeah. I, no, I, I love that concept too, that you can explore, um, superstition, you know, through science. And I remember, like you were saying, John, um, do you, if you guys ever read comic books, um, why the last man, that was one of, one of the really good lines in that, in that, in that comic book was that, <clears throat> that science was, or wait, that magic was just science that hadn't been discovered yet. So yeah. that, that uh, all these, that all of these uh, strange occurrences and, and things that are seemingly mystical and, and surreal that there, there's always a possibility that they're going to, they, they can actually exist. Mm-hmm. So that was neat. Yeah, uh, that's uh, Arthur C. Clarke, the author of 2001 Space Odyssey has a famous quote that goes something like, any science or any technology that's sufficiently advanced will appear to be magic to uh, to people. That's very cool. <clears throat> Which, you know, like if you went back in time and showed somebody a TV or a smartphone. You know, cell phone alone. The smartphone. <laughs> or fire to a caveman. One of the two. Doesn't even have to be technology. I mean, you could show me an iPhone when I was six and I would have freaked out. So <laughs> you don't have to go that far back. <laughs> Definitely. All right. Well, my only my yeah. only other thing of note that I had, uh, at least, you know, from Carpenter's perspective is, uh, you know, basically saying like how, you know, because of the budget only being three million, it kind of like forced him to have uh, more precision in regards to like the way that things were filmed in the movie. So for him, like this was his most controlled film, at least from like mm. a visual standpoint. Um, so, you know, like we're kind of used to seeing uh, in some some of his other films that, you know, it's a little bit more loose. We see more improvision happening in regards to like the actors uh, here. Not so much here. Everything's kind of like designed to, you know, communicate, you know, a certain message across so you know everything here kind of has its purpose uh as opposed to like some of the other films he's done yeah for sure i think that definitely ties to the thing where a a large amount of the scenes and dialogue in the first half of the movie are are just that conveying that idea you know the ideas of the movie and we're not, it's not the traditional movie where it's like, it sort of tries to trick you into thinking it's a traditional movie where you're going to have that main mustache guy and the redhead woman, and there's going to be a love story and they're going to be the heroes of the movie and everything, which I mean, she is, of course. Yeah. But the movie is definitely not that. Right. It's not that story. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. But good overall, worth watching. Good overall, worthwhile. And you get to see how this Cooper kill somebody. <laughs> yeah, and that's uh, that. W- the the whole reason why that got together was basically Carpenter met Alice Cooper at like WrestleMania that year. <laughs> that's awesome. And like the only way that Alice Cooper, like the only way it was going to happen is if Alice Cooper did that. Like the the kill with the the bicycle is actually like a gag in the shows. What? Yeah. Oh, it's neat. That was his idea, Alice Cooper's idea. Yeah. yeah. That is, that's so weird. I mean, that makes sense because it's so random that he, mm-hmm. he thought of that. But I guess if you're sort of trying to think of found objects that are just laying around that they can use as weapons, basically. But, Much like a crucified pigeon. It's just yeah. laying around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Another thread that kind of didn't go anywhere, but was interesting, <laughs> but didn't end up really tying to anything or having anything to do 
if anything. But yeah. Yeah, it's just yeah, fun movie. It was fun mm-hmm. to watch it again too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a while. Absolutely. So again, uh, as we mentioned earlier on the show, uh, next Wednesday we have possession for uh, our next recording. Should be a good time. Of course, we'll be watching that on Tuesday for Twisted Tuesday, uh, which we have been doing on Kick, uh, starting at seven thirty p.m. Pacific time on kick.com forward slash totally drunk. So if you guys are free, feel free to stop by, join us. Uh, I, I still have not watched Possession up until this point. I've always heard really great things about it, but it's always kind of like been on my watch list. But like, I can never actually find it. And no, Shutter recently acquired it not that long ago. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. I know the it's first time I. What's that? Okay. It's oh, a it's challenging movie, is what I was going to say. Go ahead, though. And I was going to say the first time I watched it, I can't remember why I ended up watching it. I think it was one of the movies you passed off to me, John. Where, uh, yeah, just it's it's so insane. Watch it when it's nice and dark. Maybe get a little mm-hmm. drunk. It's it's such a it's a real my it's 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 a real trip. I really enjoy it. Yep, and then you get a swift kick in the nuts with martyrs. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's gonna be fantastic. I cannot Ooh, wait. I can't wait. <clears throat> Absolutely. But anyways, guys, um, we're probably going to call it here. You know, we a little bit shorter of an episode, but uh, the conversation go... has kind of come down a little bit. A bit. <laughs> We've said everything we wanted to say. Well, you know, it's also weird in the fact that we're recording and the sun's out. You know, that's the other thing. <laughs> I'm going to go cook out, though. You know, it's 84 degrees outside. We actually have a nice day here in Chicago for for once. You know, no random like rain coming in and then dropping like 20 degrees for, you know, no reason. Well, there's still time. I mean, it's Chicago. Like, we could still get, you know, snow through June. So, time will tell. <laughs> Fun. Uh, but in the meantime, thank you so much for tuning in to Hand the Whisker. I've been your host, Emily Drunk, joined, as always, by my co-hosts, Holly and John. And I'll see you guys back on Wednesday. So, quick turnaround uh, before our next show. And we'll see you then. <laughs>